0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on.
1: Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sophie Scott.
2: And I'm James Gill.
1: Our mission is to make wellness accessible to everyone.
2: We'll be chatting with our favorite people,
1: sharing uplifting news stories, and
2: delivering tips and tricks
1: to bring balance to your lives.
2: That was our new jingle. I hope you like it. Um, so, uh, very excited because I'm joined with the the founder of Balance, the editor of Balance, the person who, in theory, could uh, have me escorted from the premises. It's Sophie Scott. Thank you for joining us, Sophie. Oh,
1: James, it's such a pleasure to be here. I've been loving the first couple of um, episodes of this podcast. You've God done bless a tremendous you. job, and I'm just very excited to be sat down with you now, so we can bring one of our kind of real life chats to all you lucky listeners.
2: So Sophie and I, we don't... I'd say we agree on most things. There are some things we don't agree on with the world of personal development and self-help. But the one person who certainly unites us both is Professor Richard Wiseman. That's right. So we sat down with the professor. He has a new book out, Shoot for the Moon, which is inspired by the 1969 moon landing. But more importantly for you, dear listener, it's how you can use those stories to inspire you to motivate you and to achieve things that you might never have thought possible. So the the sheer volume of takeaway advice that the professor, I don't know why I'm calling him that, he he referred to himself as Richard, but I'm going to stick with it, that the professor gives in this episode, I think you're going to, you will have a ball. Um, And something he says is that even if you just walk outside your house and look at the moon and think that man walked on there, it's pretty mind-blowing and hopefully that will help you in your day-to-day life one thing we love at balance is good news we're always championing good news but it's more than um escapism or it's certainly not twee that's that's one word we, we we're not keen on at balance there's something behind uh, good news isn't there Sophie? absolutely
1: well it goes back um to a psychological um learning which is that naturally as human beings we have something called negativity bias um our listeners might be familiar with this but what it means, in essence, is that for every one negative thing you hear, you need to hear five positive things in order to outweigh the negative. And, I mean, I know that that's true for myself. I always hold on to the bit of criticism, the one piece of negative feedback. Um,
2: yes. Um, so it's not, just, it's not just the words of Sophie Scott, the founder of Balance. <laughs> um, Justin, Justin Rose, a former... U.S. Open champion, one of our finest ever golfers. Um, he said he, he said exactly that. He, he would hit a bad shot, would chastise himself, uh, and a golf psychologist taught him that for every negative comment he makes, Justin has to g himself back up with five or six positive ones to restore that balance. So, genuinely, if you know you're listening to this and you've missed your train and you're calling yourself every every name under the sun, you've got to you've got to treat yourself with care. Um, so if if you're sat on the train right now and saying out loud that you're awesome that's fine by us
1: and I think another thing (laughs) um, that kind of feeds into this is the idea of gratitude right? Yes. so um, the five good things may not just be only about yourself they may be things around you or that you've got going on in your life that you know are really really good I think that's probably for me actually I've found that that's the best way to to counteract negativity bias
2: Right now, top of your head, give me two things you're grateful for.
1: Well, I'm very grateful for sitting here with you right now. That was on my list. Really sincerely, I am grateful for this freshly squeezed orange juice that's right in front of me, um, which I've just had my last sip of. Um, yeah, that's
2: enough. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Uh, Namaste. Right.
2: Namaste. God bless you. <laughs> um, so we'll crack. We'll crack on with a good news story that stands out for us. So this has just come out from Deloitte, uh, the US finance giants. And it's how wellness is being used to attract young talents. The quote from Deloitte says, the origins of wellness programmes were about saving money by creating a healthier workforce. However, things have changed now. And again, the, the next part of the quote is, appealing to millennials is dominating the wellness conversation. Now, you and I, we find this interesting because this is a way of attracting young talent to various companies.
1: Absolutely, and millennials, you know, they, they cite um, experiences, they prize experiences over monetary value. But I suppose it does also beg the question of, is this a way for companies to underpay new employees?
2: Yeah, so I suppose the advice would be, if, if you are joining a company that seems to be offering yoga and a, a meditation space and all that sort of thing, just be careful that they their heart's in the right place and that they're not just uh, using it as a gimmick to, to lure you in the, the good will out I suppose
1: I think so I think ultimately you'll know by the way that you're managed um, and by the way that the people lead if they lead by example that is definitely a good sign
2: Sophie, uh, you lead by example
1: Namaste Jane
2: <laughs> <laughs> One way is to uh, take mindfulness and wellness into your, your own hands So what I'll do at, at lunchtime Sophie's seen me walking around with my headphones on And I will invariably have an audiobook spinning. And the one I'm listening to at the moment is Shoot for the Moon by Professor Richard Wiseman, which takes us into our chat with the professor. We hope you enjoy. He was fascinating company.
1: Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of The Balance Podcast. We are very excited today to be joined by Professor Richard Wiseman. Um, James and I were saying earlier actually that it's been harder to track him down than some of our cover stars including Denzel Washington. I'm honoured. Um, <laughs> so for those of you who aren't familiar um, with Richard's work, Richard's books have sold over 3 million copies worldwide.
3: Yes. I've sold each one, actually, by hand, myself. Wow. I'm absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exhausted. exhausted. I am exhausted.
1: And his YouTube videos have had over 500 million views. and he's That's one of me as well. <laughs>
3: <It's>, <laughs> and I, 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 I am <laughs> obsessive about watching them.
1: <laughs> and he is one of the most followed psychologists on Twitter. Again, you've got a lot of fake profiles. Um, <laughs> Richard... <laughs>
3: It's yes. one thing if I do the joke, but it's another if it comes to <laughs> yes. That's, It's a different you thing. Really we're together. Yes.
1: <laughs> So, uh, as well as being a, a psychologist and author, Richard is also a magician, and from what I understand, was one of the youngest ever members of the magic circle. Um, he, today he is going to be talking to us uh, about, well, many things, um, but we're going to kick off with his new book, Shoot for the Moon. So, um, by, by the way, is there
3: anything we've missed out
2: there?
1: Yeah, it,
3: you know, I think that's off. it. That you've got the whole of my life in three sentences. Are you sure? Yes. There's nothing. You're not nothing of you're thinking. It. I can't believe they yeah. didn't. I Can't much. believe they haven't mentioned the fact that I'm a unicycling expert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which I'm not.
1: <laughs> so, um, can you tell our readers a little bit about um, the, the kind of premise behind Shoot for the Moon and what inspired you to write this book?
3: Uh, what inspired me was a, a conversation at a party. So I, I bumped into a friend of mine who's a comedian and also a sort of space geek. And we're talking about Apollo because this year is the 50th year of the moon landings. And I said, obviously, there's huge amounts about the technology that puts us on the moon, massive amounts. How about the mental technology, about the psychology? And she said, oh, I don't think there's much on that. But you should contact um, my, my friend, uh, Craig, who lives in Wales, and uh, he'd know more about it. And I said, oh, is he a sort of space expert? And uh, my friend said, no, he's a a welder. He's a welder in Wales, but he's a huge Apollo nut, and he's got very friendly with lots of people involved in the the missions. So I contacted Craig, and he said, no, Um, the people you want to speak to are the, the mission controllers who sat at the heart of the mission. And he happened to know pretty much all of them, and so put me in touch with them. Wow. And I got to speak to this bunch of people that created history 50 years ago, and that's the genesis of the book. It, it just I, I find it astounding that over the years no one said, so hold on a second, what were you thinking? Yet you know, all the, the attention has gone on the nuts and bolts of the, the spacecraft.
1: One
2: thing we touched on before which was very pleasing to hear, if there are any conspiracy theorists out there, you probably didn't realise this as you were writing it, but it, it obliterates any conspiracy theory in this book as well, doesn't it?
3: Oh, yeah, I mean, as I looked into the mission archives, I mean, just the sheer documentation is astonishing that's out there. I mean, it's one, well, America was incredibly open about every aspect of the mission. Um, so, yeah, and of course, these were the, the bunch of folks that, that guided Armstrong and Aldrin down. So, yeah, it was, it was amazing to, to chat to them. And, and it was the first time, and, and often they, they don't like doing interviews because they've been interviewed so much, but it's the first time anyone had asked them about the psychology. So there was answers they hadn't given before, which was, was lovely.
1: And in the book, you talk about the eight key principles of the Apollo mindset. Can you kind of share with our listeners now, I mean, what are those?
3: Um, well, I won't go through all of them. What, what I will say is that the first thing is that as a group, when they did it, they were astonishingly young. I mean, so the average age was 26. when when uh, That's when Armstrong goes down to the, the moon. So when they started, of of course, um, about seven or eight years before that. And that's the first. And I was thinking, how did that happen? And the answer is because on day one, the more senior engineers and rocket scientists looked at the idea of getting to the moon by the end of the decade, which, by the way, was a ridiculous goal. I mean, at that point, America had gone up and down about 100 miles uh, into space and straight back down. Now you're going to go a quarter of a million miles, land, no idea what you're going to find, walk around and come back. Ridiculous by the end of the decade. And so um, a lot of the senior folks are gone. that simply isn't possible. So essentially they've brought in a group of people, and this is a lovely phrase which I think is key to the whole thing, a group of people that, as Jerry Bostick, one of them said to me, we were so young we didn't know it couldn't be done. And they never told us we couldn't do it and I think if there's one real kind of lesson it is that that they just believed in themselves because they're very young and no one ever said you know we, you, you just can't do it you know how hard this is so I think it's a lesson in self belief mm. and I think we forget that often we just put barriers up in our minds thinking we're never going to do this this can't be done and actually you know as I, I say towards the end of the book when you think that about a personal goal or a societal community or whatever go out at night look at the moon and know that was an impossible goal and we did it and I I think that that in that sense it that that's kind of what the book is about it's it's saying to people you can do amazing things under certain circumstances
2: oh
1: I love that I'm getting tingles
2: you write about flexibility and the importance of flexibility what can one do to become more flexible because I mean that's a, a key bit
3: it is, and that, that comes back to what happened on the Moon. So they're very prepared for all sorts of outcomes, uh, but uh, Buzz Aldrin and um, Neil Armstrong uh, put on their spacesuits, uh, go out, have a, a walk around on the lunar surface. And in doing so, uh, they have knocked the end of a switch uh, off of one of the, the, the panels. Unfortunately, it's the switch you need to arm uh, the rockets that can essentially get you back off the Moon. So they're stranded and the mission controllers trying to find a workaround and it's something they hadn't thought about and then a brilliant bit of flexible thinking by um, Buzz Aldrin he realises he has a felt tip pen he thinks it's the right size to push into the hole to, to make the switch work and, and that's the, that's the of my, you know, what a phenomenal mindset you know, I, I would have been a bit more panicky right. myself uh, being stranded uh, all the uh, way from home he does it it works they blast off from the moon and so that flexibility the fact that, that we don't know what life is going to throw at us I think the ability to change rather than fight is, is good and I think doing things that you don't normally do so in the book it's just that's those small changes so I talk about conversational style so if you're normally an extrovert spending yeah. a bit more time listening if you're an introvert a bit more time um, speaking uh, if just rearranging your furniture taking a different route to work or college or whatever it is um, using the word I less. We all use I a lot in conversation, trying to find ways around it. It pushes you into a more flexible mindset mm. so that when an opportunity comes along, you take it, you see it, rather than fight it. And, and I should say with the mission controllers, when we transcribe their interviews, the word I was almost completely absent. Wow. amazing! It's we, we. for everything. Mm. And all they do is keep talking about how everyone else is amazing in the team. And that's because they were brought up as a team.
1: Yeah.
3: And there's this astonishing moment uh, before the, the lunar lander is, is going to go down onto the, the surface when uh, Gene Kranz says, look, lock the doors. We don't want people coming in and going out. And he gives them this pep talk. And he says to them, and remember, it's a group of young people, you know, those early 20s, is we walked into this room as a team, and we walk out as a team. And if we lose two of our colleagues today... We're all gonna share responsibility. It's not gonna be any one person's responsibility. I don't want anyone walking out thinking they messed things up. Mm. This is a team effort. Mm. And they all talk about that pep talk because they were terrified. Mm. 500 million people watching them live. They had never done this before. And it was going to be two people potentially obliterated. And and so it's astonishing, absolutely astonishing.
2: It's the sort of thing where you go to school and you learn that man went on the moon and you just sort of take it for granted. And it's only when you, you, you yeah. say that out loud that you realise it's just the most preposterous thing imaginable, isn't it? Oh, it, it was
3: completely... They, they thought it was fifty fifty 50-50 chance of Apollo 11 being successful. That's one of the reasons they had the other Apollo missions lined up. So
2: that's why there were other Apollos for that very it, reason. One of the reasons.
3: Oh, my gosh. And I spoke to Steve Bales, who, who's the person watching the computer as, as they go down to the surface of the moon. And a computer alarm flashes up. And he said, I've got 500 people... 500 million people watching me. He says, two of my friends, they all knew the astronauts. He said, this alarm comes up, and I've got a decision to make. I either abort, or I carry on. And if I make the wrong decision, they will die, and my name will go down in history as the person who made the wrong decision. And I said, how long have you got to make that decision? He said, maximally seven seconds. And I said, how long did it take you? He said, three. And if you, listen to, if you listen to the audio, it says computer alarm, and he goes, carry on. And that's, that's because in the simulation, and there's real lessons here, In the last simulation they did, they did loads of simulations, uh, a computer alarm came up and he made the wrong call. Mm-hmm. And him, as he, him and his friend went through every computer alarm and worked out the best thing to do, and lo and behold, one of them came up in the actual mission. Boy, were they prepared. So
1: preparation.
3: Massive preparation. I talk in the book about what's called a Mm pre-mortem. So post-mortem is when things have gone wrong with the project and you uh, analyze what went wrong. Pre-mortem, brilliant idea. All sit around and imagine it's gone wrong. before you've started the project. Imagine it's been a disaster. Why did it fail?
1: But then how does that work where you You talked before about a kind of certain naivety, let's say, that comes with thinking that you can absolutely achieve anything. How do the two work in tandem, or how can they complement each other?
3: Because you will encounter problems, mm-hmm. and you need to be ready for them. And so you might go, well, I want to do this amazing thing. Okay, here's my project. I'm going to start a new business, or whatever it is. And I would say, okay, a year's time, let's imagine it's been a disaster. What went wrong? And it gives people license to suddenly be a bit cynical. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's before they've tried nothing, and you might go, well, I just want to start a new coffee shop, but it's very low footfall. No wonder no one came. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, people start to realize, oh, hold on a second, there's some issues here. Mm-hmm. What can I do to either mitigate them or be prepared? So you've got to be ready, I and mean, that belief will get you going and keep you going when the going gets tough, but you've got to be ready for hardship. It is going to come along. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just the way life goes. I
1: suppose it's just doing something fully conscious.
3: Right. It's, 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 that's right. It's because th- those difficulties are going to come up. Mm. So be prepared. Mm. And boy, for those um, missions, they were prepared. And
2: then in the book you say about deliberately aiming too high. That's quite refreshing to yeah. hear. That. Yes. Because <laughs> that's not how we're, in Britain, that's not how we're raised, is
3: it? No, I mean, that's, that's the stretch goal. And there, there's a lot of stretch debate. goal. Yeah, too, yeah, there's a great term. So there's a lot of debate about that within psychology. Um, but the stretch goal is this. So, so, so famously, it comes to the moon landings, actually. Uh, Kennedy he's uh, obviously got a big race on with the um, soviets they're winning at the, the beginning of the 60s and some of his scientists go we could put a space station up he goes go back think bigger well we could get a rocket to the moon think bigger um, we could buy a person on the moon and get them back and then it's kennedy that adds the topper he goes by the end of the decade and everyone is just silent because it's like that's ridiculous but you do get 5% of the national budget to do it. So, so, <laughs> and you do get 400,000 people working on the project. Um, which actually, just in terms of the coordination of it... I 400,000? 400,000 400, people incredible. involved. This, this is why the conspiracy theories are so nuts. 400,000 people contributed. I mean, imagine the management structure. Mm. You can't that.
2: keep four people quiet, let alone 400
3: That's right, 000. that's right. So, so yeah, that, that's, that's the maximum people involved in, in putting a person on the moon. So, in Armstrong, we said one person walks on the moon. It really mm. was a nation. That that got them there. And it's one of those times when a whole nation came together. Mm. And that's what you can do when a group of people come together and got that shared vision. So, stretch goals, yes, I think, you know, aim high, because if you do drop down a bit, you're still going to be somewhere good.
1: But what about those people who actually don't have a goal or an aim in mind? Because obviously, the premise of the book is very much shoot for the moon, you know, anything is possible, you know, as long as you're prepared. But I think, I mean, I don't know what you think, James. We were talking about this earlier, but yeah. there's a lot of people who actually kind of feel a bit lost and don't actually have a destination. Are there, are there ways that people can kind of, I suppose, get in touch with what their purpose is or what it is that can get them into flow?
3: So one thing I talk about, all, all the mission controllers are really passionate about what they're doing. They all say if they had to do it again tomorrow, they'd be back there like a shot. And... It wasn't that, I mean, you couldn't keep them away from mission control. There's a great story about one of them that drove in. There's not a parking space. And so he parked his car on the steps of mission control, which are kind of inclined steps, Yeah, yeah. just to get in. Comes out, and they're furious, NASA's furious, it's an extremely dangerous thing to do, and he gets banned from taking his car into mission control. As you said, so you're not allowed to in the car, and you're not allowed here to, to park. He's so passionate that he rides in on a horse. <laughs> and that's how he gets to work. Oh, my
0: gosh. So, so
3: uh, passion drive, drives us forward. Um, and, I mean, they weren't very well paid, actually, uh, for, for the amazing stuff that they were doing, on am sort of government wages. So it, it wasn't about the money. And so I think once you find that passion, it's a fuel. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I talk about in the book is how you find that. And, yeah. and one of the, the quickest routes is to say, well, imagine you're going to be marooned on a desert island, and you can take a bundle of books or magazines, but they've all got the same topic. Mm. What's that topic? And people instantly think of a topic. They go, oh, they'd all be about, well, that's probably your passion. It's mm-hmm. the thing you want to spend the rest of your life reading about. So that gives you some sense of direction. Mm-hmm. Then I would say, who are your heroes? You know, just Come up with three people in that particular area. Mm-hmm. What do they all have in common? What, what, what are they doing? What do they do with their lives? And I think those sorts of things give you big direction. Um, so, so I think people often know what they don't want to do yeah. the hard bit is knowing what you do want to do and those sorts of very simple exercises I, I think are helpful mm-hmm. but sometimes it bubbles up mm-hmm. sometimes you start off in one direction and it kind of bubbles up Come
1: and then I sorry I
2: was going to say who are your uh, I'm going to ask you yeah. something who are your
3: three heroes three heroes uh, they'd all be from magic sure. actually they'd all be from magic uh, they they probably wouldn't be known to the public so I won't them. but but they're all people um that change the face of magic and, and so we've a background in magic and I look at what they did and I look at magic before and afterwards and I just go my goodness this is the power of one in each instance that they that, that, that they really elevated the art form that I care very deeply about and so that's that's where I would go and then I should say the next project I'm doing is, is massively magic oriented so right. that's what I'm very passionate about and when you are and, and again, it's, again, it's another tip. What activities make time fly? Mm. So I work, work on the new book, and a day can go, and it just feels like nothing. It feels like nothing at all, because this is what I love doing. Yeah. Where if you hate what you're doing, five minutes is the longest five minutes of your life. So again, what activities where time flies past?
2: Who are your heroes?
1: Who are my heroes? Um, probably not surprisingly, I'd say Oprah. Bill Gates. And then the third I'd say, maybe my great-grandfather, actually, who was ch- chased out of Russia by the pogroms, um, had nothing, was so poor that he was eating roots to stay alive, and then he went on to become um, a businessman and a big guy in the world of fashion. I'd say, oh, yeah, i say
2: those three. Yeah. Yeah. And how about you, James? Richard Wiseman, Sophie Scott,
3: and my wife. <laughs>
1: Good, <Perfect>. answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. Good answer.
3: Good <laughs> answer. Uh, I think that would say myself at the end there. <laughs> I, right that. there. <laughs> I know my wife listens. <laughs> You're right. Actually the one I would add uh, if I was going outside of magic would be Dale Carnegie. Carnegie oh, is yeah, phenomenal. Sure. Yeah. I mean doing uh, self-help stuff so early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, incredibly concrete and I still think How to Win Friends and Influence People How mm. to um, Stop Worrying and Start Living still two of the greatest self-help books ever written right. I mean they're, they're dated now mm-hmm. but still the advice and the phenomenal writing style is great
2: So Sophie and I we, we have a lot of the, our Venn diagrams strongly intersect but we don't agree on every self-help or personal development book mm. however where they meet is your books and it's because it's it's the stuff I love but it's also the stuff Sophie loves how did you get into this world of self-help and personal development?
3: So at the, by chance, to an extent, so I was writing a book about, or pitching a book, on the paranormal. i had done lots of work on psychology of the paranormal. And no publisher wanted to publish it. I'm in a meeting with a publisher, and they're sort of just making conversation because they're not interested in the book. They say, what else are you doing? <laughs> uh, and I said, I'm doing stuff on luck psychology of luck, lucky and unlucky people, It sort of followed from the paranormal a little bit and see that there's sort of links there between those two. And they went, oh, uh, can you make people luckier? And I said, yes, some of our work is, is getting people to think and behave like a lucky person. And they said, we'll buy the book. It was like that. Incredible. It was like that. And, and Strike of luck. So, yeah, absolutely. And it was a chance conversation and then it went to be a very big book, and it sold all over the world, and so on. And at that point, people weren't doing very much evidence-based self-help. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, now it's a big thing. Yeah. Psychology to support your findings. But when I was doing that, it was one of the very few people, it was about 2000, that we were writing that. So, yeah, it was phenomenal. But that's why we love it, isn't
2: it? Yeah. Because it's a, it's a science-y take on self-help.
1: And also, I think you offer so many kind of practical exercises. Um, and, and, and that's such a great point of differentiation. It really gets the, right. the reader fully kind of utilised and, and, and buying into it. Gets the heart racing. Yeah. It, it
2: does, because I mean, I said to you for your number of comedian friends who I've forwarded one of the exercises from 59 Seconds. What, what sort of feedback have you got from people?
3: It's been lovely. Yeah, you, know, you get emails and people come up to you all the time and say that, like, a book or 59 in mm. particular has yeah. changed things. And, and it's a very simple line for me which I think emerged very early on in luck factor which is that would I personally do the exercise if I would it goes in if I wouldn't it comes out right. because it's really easy to write this stuff yeah. in some kind of mad world where you kind of go oh I'll do this kind of thing. You still think I wouldn't do that why am I telling other people to do this it's crazy so that's always the, the line for me and is it evidence-based is there some sense which we think this will work isn't just me making stuff up
1: So for our listeners that haven't read The Luck Factor, in a nutshell, what is the difference between an unlucky person and a lucky person? Uh,
3: Well, there I talk about four principles. So I talk about um, seeing opportunities and making the most of them. I talk about optimism driving you forward. I talk about uh, trusting your intuitions and I talk about uh, resilience. Now all of those are pretty well worked topics now. When I wrote it in 2000, they, they weren't quite so much. But those are the key kind of factors there.
1: So do you consider yourself a lucky person?
3: No, it's been a disaster. <laughs> it's Absolute disaster. Um, on the way here, I tripped over twice. Um, yeah, I mean, I, because we the way we got to that data was worked with a thousand exceptionally lucky and unlucky people, and so when you've worked with that many lucky people, it's hard for not to see these things in in action. Um, so you go in and interview an unlucky person. I've done so hundreds of them, and you go in feeling fine, and within ten minutes, you're kind of going, "Oh, yeah, no." because they're sort of so miserable they, you know, oh yeah my back hurts as well uh, so it sort of drags you down so you suddenly realise that emotion is contagious and enthusiasm is contagious sure. and you know we sort of spoke a little bit about performance audiences can smell authenticity yeah. we can smell authenticity with one another you can tell whether someone's genuinely passionate and, and you want to be involved in that project or they're faking it or they're <laughs> going to give them monkeys and, and so that's what I learned from that that the lucky people had got this aura Around them because they were so, you know, and and they team players as well. They wanted mm-hmm. to create projects where everyone won, mm-hmm. and so it was great. It was a lovely, lovely few years of interviewing them.
2: How does that feel? This is quite a cheesy question, but how does that feel to have had such an impact on so many people's lives? I mean, that's it's extraordinary,
3: isn't it? Uh, well, that's kind of you to say that. In in terms of how it actually feels, I remember the first time I went into a bookstore and I saw The Luck Factor for sale. Yeah. It was that huge thrill that there was my book in a bookstore. Mm-hmm. It is precisely and exactly the only time I have felt that because we habituate these things so quickly. Mm-hmm. And so now I don't feel that. It is, it is what I do yeah. and other people do amazing things. Uh, so the first time I appeared on television I was with Richard and Judy for all those years mm-hmm. ago, two TV hosts. I was very nervous in the green room. And Richard came in, and he said this thing completely changed my life. Because I said, I'm really nervous. And at the time, it was a big TV show. It was a morning show, everyone was watching it. And he said, look, if you mess up, Richard, it doesn't really matter. We're just doing a bit of TV. He said, the next item on is the paramedics. If they mess up in their job, someone dies. What they're doing is really important. We're just having a chat. And that's always been my attitude, is that I'm just writing some books, you know. There are people out there that do amazing jobs every single day of their lives, saving lives, changing lives. I'm just writing some books. That's
1: all I'm doing. My my best friend's a brain surgeon, Florence, hi darling, <laughs> and <laughs> honestly, that is exactly the thing, it, I, I naturally am somebody who gets quite stressed and quite anxious, says misbalanced, but it's true, and actually that's very much my drive behind, you know, trying to help others and educate myself on how to ease that, but um, it's the one thing, kind of the greatest antidote I feel to my anxiety, is just reminding myself that this is not brain surgery.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, sure. and also, anything you do, probably in two, three years won't matter anyway. So we, we tend to live going, oh, stressed yep. and worried. And you think, you know what, it's all quite unpredictable. Mm. I don't know what's going to happen in a couple of years. I know I'm probably not going to be too worried about whatever particular argument or problem I'm having right at the moment. Mm. So just, you know.
1: Have, like you got, have you got kind of any other tips on how we can sort of stop... Thinking or talking about doing things, and actually start to take action. Like well, I always love that book, uh, Susan Jeffers' book, "How to uh, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway." I think yeah. that was the first ever self-help book I read that kind of got me very much into this way of thinking. And I'm
3: very pro-action. Yeah. Very, very pro-action, um, and and not spending too long um, thinking about things. So there's again, *Reach for the Moon*. Um, there's that lovely meeting where they all sit around. They're terrified of a mission because people probably are going to die mm-hmm. on that mission. And so, you know, they're, they're, they're very scared and it's um, uh, uh, Glenn Lunny, one of the mission controllers, who stands up at this meeting and says, look, if we're going to go to the moon, at some point we are actually going to have to go to the moon. So do you want to go to the moon or not? And they went, yes. He goes, then we're going to have to go to the moon. We're have to stop talking about going to the moon and go to the moon. Otherwise we're going to be here forever. And so I think it's really important. When you start acting, you start finding out what the real issues are. You also attract other people towards you interested in in particular projects. And you become this person which is authentic instead of the person that we all know that talks about doing stuff endlessly and never gets around to it. Change is scary, so I understand why some people hold back. But I would always say act over endless, endless kind of like hand-wringing, worrying and so on. Just get out there and do something
2: a lot of feedback we get on the magazine and articles we've written are about stress and being frazzled do you, do you
0: have any tips there,
3: there any uh... no, nothing <laughs> um, well I would like to just, just think of my own thing on, on um, that do, doing which is that it's also a reality check so it's easy for me to think um, I've got this great book idea and I convince myself it's a great book idea until you come to write the pitch and then you go this is a terrible idea there's there's a reality check about doing. That's Otherwise, right. you can just believe any old rubbish, mm. and then you think no no no. At some point, do it, and then you find out you think actually that was a terrible idea. Forget that. Throw what else have we got? I think there's a real report to it. And in terms of relaxation, so I actually don't have that because I I don't tend to do very much kind of relaxy sort of things. Um, so uh, I mean personally, I, so it's well I've been uh, hearts now for. 24 years I have never taken a holiday Wow! so I don't do um, and you vacations. consider
1: yourself lucky
3: yeah I don't do <laughs> go on that's, that's no it's, it's that, that simple wow it's, it's that if I need to take a holiday I'm not enjoying what I'm doing
1: goodness why would
3: you want a break from so
1: does that means you never go abroad
3: oh no I travel a lot for my work oh. but I never I've not taken a day off of working as I'm it working stood. as it were can
2: I be honest if I had my way and I know my wife's listening I would never take a but she, she loves all of that. Well, as it's complete, because we, love, we love doing what we do. Yeah, that's right, why,
3: exactly. It? And that is a huge privilege in life. And most people don't have that privilege. No. So and it tells you that you're not in love with what you do. I love what it. My, my annoyance is when I can't do it. That's when I get annoyed. So I love the project I'm working on at the moment, and it annoys me if I can't work on it. So why do I want to take a break? But no. I completely understand other people are not in that position of privilege. And, and so obviously they, they do need breaks, but it's another sort of little tip there
2: it's so refreshing to hear because it's sort of in the face of a lot of the stuff that we hear about isn't it
1: absolutely but then you know we're also called balance so we're also about trying to promote the idea of you know working towards that striving towards it even if it's not possible in and of itself
2: if you are lucky enough to find your passion you may as well embrace it I
3: guess Mm. what's all you want to do Yeah. yeah It gets back to the mission controllers. They said that going home was the worst part of the day. I I spoke to um, uh, uh, Jerry Griffith. And I said, come on, you've put a man on the moon. You've done it. This is the night of Apollo 11. You've finally done it. Did you celebrate? No. Did you go to your parents and go, we we did it? No. I said, what did you do? He said, we all got together and started planning Apollo 12. (laughs) That's on the night of Apollo 11. And I said, "Why?" He goes, "Why would you do anything else? This is the best thing in the world." That's so
1: great. It's amazing.
2: I had a spare hour the other day, and I reread the cover interview. I'm not just saying that because you're here, Sophie. And he wrote it. I see. Right. There we
3: go.
1: (laughs) But but then you know, I am interested as well. Where do relationships? into
3: this I think it's a very good question and and so I'm very very lucky and my partner is also a psychologist and helps with all these projects and and so I'm very much part of um, uh, sort of team Wiseman as it were Uh, but you've got to decide what matters to you you probably can't do everything Mm -hmm. and so you get some people have very successful relationships and other people that care passionately about what they're doing and in fact if you look at people who have achieved a great deal often they're not in the greatest of relationships they're not the greatest people in terms of you know, caring about the people around. They are very, very driven to achieve this thing. So, but you know, can
1: one not be lucky in all areas of their life?
3: You, you can, but you have to make decisions as well. And if if you know if you're going to spend time working on relationships and all of that, you're probably not spending as much time on something else. And balance is a good word. It's, it's, it, that that's absolutely great. Um, but I would say also look at the lives of people who have achieved a huge amount. Because it's pretty tricky and it requires a lot of dedication.
2: Mm-hmm. You see, I'm not, I don't want to get a slap here, but you're not great at relaxing, are
1: you? <laughs> <laughs> but you're not, you? <laughs> um, I mean, that's a good uh, yes. t- I, t- I, t- I'm t- quite t- good at it on the weekend, I've got to tell you. Really? But in the week, no. I, I, You know, I love balances. You know, mm. my baby, I'm passionate about it. So, yeah, you're right. But I um, perhaps naively do want and believe that you can... Um, have it all, just not all of the time. So, yeah,
3: and also I'm saying these things. I'm, I'm very, very lucky because uh, I have a, a magical power, uh, which is that I can sleep ah. like that whenever I want for as long as I want. Please
1: come on, 59 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> well, I did a whole book on sleep, I did I night school.
3: Oh, yeah, of course you did, that's right. Yeah, and so I was writing night school and we sent it off. I, so, the way my book writing works is that I do some research. Uh, I write a bit and then it goes to uh, two readers who read it and feed back to me yeah. and then there's a, uh, a third reader who gets it after I've feedback so the two readers feed back and they just don't get the book they just don't get it and I'm going look this is a, th- it's a book on sleep it's a straightforward thing and what I hadn't realised is that some people have problems sleeping I, I can just so I slept oh, on the so, tr- so, so I'm just kind of going you just close your eyes you fall asleep and they're going no 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 you don't no 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 that's the whole problem and and so yeah, I, I can I can fall asleep anywhere for twenty minutes. Just so did it on the way here, actually, just to recharge. Really? Yeah, because I had a very light night. So oh my God. so so it's all right for me kind of going, oh, you know, no problem, with relaxation. Yeah, but just close your eyes. yeah, just close your eyes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I'm I'm very fortunate and just being able to sleep uh, anywhere and um, you know before shows and so on. You're a bit nervous. What? Yeah. So as long as things are all set out, as long as everything's set, I would just go and sleep twenty minutes and then just walk straight on and do the talk or whatever.
2: How are you? able to, it's asking Lionel Messi how he can score from 40 yards, I guess you either can or you can't. I think that's the case. Is it really? I've always
3: been able to do it and so it's, I think that is like a superpower so you, you just kind of go, I just a bit of time. and actually what doesn't work is if I can't do it, then I get really kind of moody because I, I can tell that my body's telling me well, we need to just shut down for 20 minutes.
1: But, but do you have a kind of 60 second suggestion, rule, tip that people can implement to sleep better?
3: Well, there's all sorts of things. Um, I, I think, uh, first of all, clearing your mind is is good, so if you've got problems and issues, writing those down before you go to sleep, mm-hmm. and that's even writing down some possible solutions. Mm-hmm. And, and of course our mind, brain, is very active during sleep. This idea, I mean, it's a different state of consciousness, it's not shutting down. So often I'll wake up with great ideas in my head, what well, I think are great ideas, um, because my mind's been working uh, during the night. So that, that's helpful. Um, yeah you know, the idea of sort of counting back from hundred and threes because it just pushes anxieties out. If you do wake up in the middle of the night, then for more than 10 minutes, then getting out of bed and doing something in low light like a jigsaw or coloring in and then going back to bed because otherwise you start to associate your bed with not sleeping
1: yeah with anxiety and you
3: start more and more anxious yeah. and it becomes a positive feedback loop. So all of those things, all of those things can help improve um, sleep hygiene
2: you've written something down in the middle of the night thinking that you've cracked it and then read it and it's been absolute...
3: That's right. Yes, and it ends up sort of, you know, I don't know, frog custard. Uh, and you can kind of go, frog custard isn't going to sell, but in the middle of the night, I thought that was the greatest product.
2: <laughs> I never thought I'd say this, but bringing back to Richard Maybe, right? he once told a story, he said, he, w- he woke up in the middle of the night and went, I've just, I've just cracked the meaning of life, and wrote this thing down, went back to sleep, going, I'm, I'm a genius. Woke up in the morning and he'd said how many cowboys would it take to fill the Grand Canyon? That's great. And he went, this is worthless. Yes.
3: It's lovely that, Yes. I just heard a a very old line, actually, Frank Sinatra saying I'm very unlucky because he went to the Grand Canyon, it was closed. (laughs) I like that joke.
1: So The Luck Factor um, is arguably kind of one of the early, maybe first books in this kind of area of personal development. And it's obviously been a booming market and Mm. one that we take a real active interest in. What's what's your view of how
0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare Tri-Term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Our um, kind
3: of
1: personal development has has changed over
3: the years. Yeah, I mean it's definitely mushroomed. And, of course, what the luck factor was all about was it being Mm evidence-based. And, of course, some of the other books which have come along um, haven't had that evidential basis. And so you just don't know whether you're doing something which is actively helpful or not. Um, So some of the NLP work, some of it is absolutely fine. Some of it is a bit crazy. So, you know, I would always say whenever you're reading those books or hearing a practitioner, what is the evidence for this? I mean, I remember talking to some of my work is on lying, psychology of lying and um, I told businesses probably about five years ago, and they said, oh, you know, because it's NLP, when you look up to the left, it's, you're making stuff up, and down to the right, it's true, or whatever the eye movements were. And so I did some research into it. No truth to it at all. Seriously? There, there is no relationship between someone's eye movements and whether they're thinking in a concrete way or making stuff up. And yet there are businesses hiring and firing on the basis of that. And so that's scary stuff. If you take the Harvard uh, motivational study, This idea that um, researchers went and interviewed a bunch of four-year-olds and said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then they tracked them for 25 years, and the the small number of kids that knew, age four, they wanted to be, accounted for 90% of the income of the cohort. shows the power of focusing young. Wow. Except none of that is true. That study has never been conducted. You will read about it all over the web in loads of self-help books. There is no evidence for that notion at all. So it was just made up? Just made up. What? So that's why you need the evidence. I mean, it's the same thing as going to buy a used car. You wouldn't just trust someone. You go, hold on a second. Can I take somebody along with me that knows about cars, or I'd find out about cars. And and here people are trusting their lives over, and they haven't got any idea whether they're they're, they're listening to anything that's that's rubbish or, or have got some basis to it. Who blew the whistle
2: there then? When
3: they realised. Uh, I, I put it into fifty nine. So it's it's one of the chapters uh, in fifty nine about the Harvard motivational study. Do you, Do
1: you think there's anything to be said though for the placebo effect?
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the notion that, that you think something and therefore that impacts on your life, of course. Um, but, you know, should we be imagining our perfect selves in 10 years' time? Probably not. It makes you feel good, but it reduces your motivation. Because your brain tends to go, well, in a sense, you've got there because you've imagined it. So imagining process, imagining what you need to do in order to get to that end point is very good. Imagining the end point, not so good. So everyone should know imagery is a very powerful tool, mm. but you imagine process. You imagine yourself doing what you need to do to get to that point, versus imagining being at that point.
2: Because that, as a technique, is almost taken as red the whole yeah. picture yourself
3: in. In fact, that's a pernicious one, because it makes you feel good. It makes you think, oh, if I was in the perfect relationship, you feel good, but you don't realize that actually it's reducing the chances of that happening. So this is the stuff where, where you know, evidentially, psychology starts to matter.
1: Gosh, because I'm all one for a vision board. I'm a big believer in it well, vision Well, yeah. yeah,
3: to some extent that's okay because that, that is providing a, a direction and right. a sense of motivation. But if, if you start to visualise it internally a lot, then your brain starts to think, well, you're kind of already there. Right. So looking at that vision board is fine because it gives you that that, that direction. But then thinking, what do I need to do to get there? That's the key bit.
1: And that just comes back to action, which absolutely. we talked about Absolutely, absolutely.
3: These things are not going to happen by magic. It's, it's going to require some kind of input.
2: Jim Carrey always talks about the law of attraction, and because uh, there's the very famous story that he wrote a check for ten million dollars before he was famous. That's right. But then, he, but then he's gone on Oprah and said that he doesn't mm. want people to think that you just visualise being a Hollywood movie star. his exact that was were you don't visualise something amazing, then go make a sandwich. Yeah. You've got to put the gra- you've got to put the graph yeah.
3: in. <laughs> you know, there's a lovely Steve Martin line when they they said, "What's the secret of success?" and he said, "Be so good they can't ignore you." it's a great line be so good they can't ignore you in other words put in the time and be just wonderful such that everyone's attracted to you and just cannot ignore you so it isn't this question of visualising and and that's the lazy approach to it and it's not going to work
1: so you can't just be a lucky person no they're they're doing
3: things they're naturally doing things which then bring about that good luck and you can do them too so in the same way some people are naturally good at whatever sport you know but everyone can learn to be a bit better it's the, the same analogy
2: I, I mean, I sort of live by the whole, and I say this a lot, throw as many darts at the board because one of them's yeah got to hit the bullseye eventually. Yes,
3: yeah. But there you've got a bullseye, you've got something you're aiming for. Yeah, so. exactly. yeah. The other way is just throw a dart and just draw a bullseye <laughs> around it. <And> just <laughs> look, look, told you! Told you! <laughs> Another straight in the middle. Whoa! <laughs> uh,
1: so just following up then on what you were talking about, about kind of... There being no evidence for when people look up to the left and the right, can you tell us like how do we know if someone's lying to us?
3: It's it's really tricky. Yeah. So again, I carried a lot, quite a lot of research, and and we, we massively overestimate our abilities. However, the cues tend not to be visual. Often we look, we're very visual animals, uh, and and so we tend to look for visual cues. And the problem with body language is it's controllable. Mm -hmm. So it's quite easy for us to decide to move our hands in certain ways, sit in certain ways, Mm -hmm. and so on. What's much, much harder to control are the words you say and the way you say them. Mm -hmm. And that's where the the better signals actually sit for lying. So if you see somebody suddenly dropping away detail, if they're distancing themselves in terms of me, my, I, all those sorts of things. uh, So then they don't say those things. They don't say those things. So so there's a natural speech pattern we've all got x amount of detail and x amount of time that we use me mine in a story if you suddenly see that change and the person suddenly detail drops away answers get much shorter the longer what psychological response latency which is just the gap between the end of the question beginning of the answer
2: mm-hmm.
3: that's a signal of lying because they're having to now think about an answer if they repeat the question back <laughs> ask for it again they're buying time sure all those things are much better signals of, of lying.
2: There's a, there's a Samuel Jackson film, The Negotiator, and they use that NLP line as a, one of the experts, okay. Samuel Jackson himself, and he says the whole looking up to the
3: left, looking down to yeah.
2: the right. So that's how- Yeah, I mean, it's, out out there. There. yeah. It's, it's out there. It's out there, and it's
3: one thing in a film, but businesses are using it. And actually there are much, much better signals, as I say, for, for lie detection, but they're much more likely to be linguistic. Because it's really hard to control your speech yeah. in that way. It requires quite a lot of forethought. So, yeah, no, it's fascinating. The but
1: then, what about the whole basis that I can't remember what it is, something like, is it 98% of what is nonverbal communication?
3: Yeah, that, there's some truth to that. I don't know what the percentages are or how you mm. find that out, but certainly big parts of the brain are dedicated, on sort of the back of the brain, on, on visual processing mm. and, and vision. Um, and so that's why when we want to relax, we close our eyes. You close your eyes because you're cutting off this massive amount of input. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we are we are visual creatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, saying that, I'm a big fan of voice. I mean, podcasts and, yep. and so on. I just think very naked about the voice. I think it's, it's good.
1: Yeah, I definitely think it's less often about what a person even says as opposed to the way in which they deliver something yes the tone never lies or
3: rarely yeah. lies yeah, so it's, but and it's, it's why it's much easier um if you're a politician to lie on television and much harder on the radio <laughs>
1: yeah
3: because suddenly it's just the tone of voice and you can tell that, that's an odd answer they didn't answer the question Where, when you're overwhelmed by visual information you, you're often not listening you're sure not well. listening so it's it's an odd thing we used to do light section stuff uh, we used to have somebody sitting behind the, the, the person that, that we thought might or may not be lying, and they're not looking at them at all, they are just listening. And their thoughts are always far more important than the person sitting in front of them doing the actual interview. To,
2: to, bring, to bring what we kicked off with and bring it back now, the space race and, and the Apollo was very successful in uniting America. It, it did work, didn't it? It did galvanise the nation, I take it.
3: For, for a very short period of time, um, absolutely. And the, the whole country got... In fact, the whole world got behind it. There was an enormous kind of feel-good factor about it. it. It was really the world wanting to do it. And even the Soviets, the rocket scientists, I mean, not so much the Soviet government, but the rocket scientists, when America did it, you know, they sent over a telegram saying congratulations. Yeah. So it, it was everyone kind of behind it.
2: What I'm getting at is in these times
3: of horrific division, do, yes. we, do we need... Mm. We
2: need
3: something to. I think we need big picture thinking. And and also a shift away from the self. You know, at the moment, in particular with social media, it makes us think about how we compare to other people. And I think just thinking, hold a second, we are all in this together. This is a massive we, whether it's, you know, your community or your country or the world. And, and the, if we were to just think about what we want to achieve rather than what I want to achieve and how we need to work together to make that happen, I just think it would be a better place. And actually, the, the 60s, I think, had more of that and that, that wasn't such an alien notion. I mean, mm. Kennedy's, you know, think, ask not what a you know, country can do to yes. you, but you can do your country. That comes from that thinking, and Mission mission controller said that. They said, we were there to achieve something amazing for humanity. And in fact, one of the HR people involved... Said, so I didn't want people who wanted to be something. I didn't want egotists in that room. I wanted people who wanted to achieve something. I wanted them to have such an amazing goal, and they didn't care whether their name was associated with it. All they wanted to do was make it happen.
1: Mm.
3: And nowadays, everybody wants to have their name associated with everything and be oh, I was that person. I think just step back, just see the bigger picture. Project's bigger than any of you.
2: Yeah, That's why Chris Nolan made Interstellar as a route, which I think is but it was a reminder that collectively we've, we've lost that sense of collective adventure
3: yeah and I, and I think it is made worse by social media where it's all about you and, and how you compare to others and you've got to put this faith that you're very successful and so on mm. so I, I think some sense that, that kind of collective mindset would be great
2: what would your no pressure but if you just change the world with <laughs> this next question what would it genuinely what would be a, a suggestion for healing things the way they are at the moment
3: i i think it's 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 difficult isn't it um if you uh, you're talking about the, the b word uh, yes indeed yes um so <laughs> that that one's that, i think particularly difficult I, I think probably some sense of perspective the truth is that we're not going to be on this earth very long any of us the right. the one thing's guaranteed is death, yeah. and the one thing's guaranteed is we don't really know what's going to happen, and so all we know is that it will happen at some point, so just realizing that we're just this little speck in the the universe and that it's just one tiny little thing. They're just stepping back and thinking, what is best for everyone, for future generations, for a much bigger picture? I I think if we got that mindset out there, rather than right now, what's my opinion, and I'm I'm not going to change that opinion, and that's that, I think would help. Brexit is particularly difficult, because now you've got, you know, not far 50-50 type scenario. So it's, it, it is difficult. Um, but I, I think some sense of selflessness rather than selfishness would, would, would be handy. Yeah.
2: And you can, genuinely someone in the Kennedy mould, maybe, that would...
3: Yeah, I mean, Kennedy was crucial. I mean, he was a charismatic leader. Yeah. And, and I spoke to people that were in the, the Rice Stadium when he gave the uh, We Go to the Moon speech. And they said, hey, your, your life just changed like that. So one of them I spoke to was a basketball was a university studying basketball as it were as a basketball player and um, uh, what was the other thing I think it was languages or something. And he said, I just knew I wanted to be an engineer and help with the space race by the end of that. He said, Yeah, I walked in one person, I walked out another. And he said there wasn't any moment where you suddenly thought, Maybe I won't be involved in this. It was the most exciting vision by a charismatic leader mm. that said, For the future of the world, we're gonna do this. And he said it just changed his mind in one second and that was it. And he's one of the people that guided Armstrong and Aldrin down seven, eight years later.
1: So there we go. Um, luck, so to speak, um, belief is infectious.
3: A- ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And, and focusing on that bigger picture, thinking about, you know, where is all this going to, to lead? And we are all in this together. We are all connected. It's, it's not you, it's us.
1: I think that's a brilliant place to stop
2: Can't thank you enough Pleasure Just to be very unprofessional To be transparent with the listener Sophie and I are huge fans So on a selfish level This has meant meant the world But also I I know that the listener Will have got a heck of a lot out of it So thank you Pleasure, thank you very much Thank you very much. See, we told you He was great, wasn't he? Uh, Wonderful Really, really uh, enlightening chat So Sophie, our next issue of the magazine is an exciting one.
1: It is indeed. So it is our yearly, and it's our second time of doing it, Wellness 100 list. So we have curated the change makers, the leaders, the uh, inspiring people that we believe are trying to make the world a happier, healthier, and more mindful place.
2: So it's it's the top 100, the balance office, I would say, is a harmonious one. It's not often that we disagree on stuff. The hundred, it's its a hot topic. Not not everyone's going to agree.
1: Well, it's and amazing, actually, how many great people there are in the world. And it's yeah, actually surprisingly difficult to whittle it down to just it's a hundred.
2: And it's a lovely process. And what we do is we discuss it, we debate it, and then what's lovely is we all come to the conclusion that Sophie was right. <laughs> so, uh so thank you, by the way, if you've got in touch. I'm not. I, I'm not gonna read them all up. I'll, I'll tell you why, because a lot of them were. I love Steve Wright, but when Steve Wright reads out uh, correspondence,
1: it's, <laughs> it goes
2: on. Well, it, well also, it's uh, big fan of the show, and I'm like, I'm like, Steve, you've, you've <laughs> been a, you've been smashing out the park for like 30 years. I'm just gonna take it as read that people love you. So the, the feedback has been very nice. Um, thank you, everyone. Well, yeah, genuinely, thank you. My wife had feedback. Most of it was positive. <laughs> um, so, someone called Zaza got in touch. I hope you don't mind me reading this, <laughs> but it was it was it was very warm, very positive, and Zaza made a suggestion. Is so it s-
1: not Zaza?
2: The way you said it sounds much better than Miley's accent calling her Zaza. Um, so she suggested Briony Gordon, and I mean, we we agree that would be a, that would be an excellent cast, wouldn't it? We
1: do love Briony, and I I don't know if I can say this, but I but I will. She does make the Wellness One Hundred.
2: Wow! Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler alert. So if you any correspondence, and I know I didn't read out the positive stuff be, just because Sophie's out, I'd have, I'd have made myself embarrassed. But any feedback, keep it light. We're both pretty sensitive. So it's podcast at media. Now, if you want to advertise, and you definitely do, um, you can drop our sales team a line, and that is sales at media. So it's, you know you can have my voice reading out Sophie who makes Joanna Lumley sound like a cast member of Coronation Street um, <laughs> so we can do it or if you want to do pre-recorded I mean I'd go for the Sophie Joanna Lumley she's cheaper than Joanna Lumley and uh, I mean that sounds like a dig says but, who yeah, no okay <laughs> she's exactly the same price as Joanna Lumley so anyway that's up to you so what, that's, feel free to advertise get in touch that'd be nice Um, and then we will be back next week. So, again, we can't spoil it, but our podcast chat for next week's episode, we will say, is high up in the Balance Wellness 100. Um, I think I can say this. The cover star and the number one, you're going to enjoy. I'll I'll say that much. You're going to enjoy.
1: I'd say our biggest and best possibly to date.
2: You see, I think I... Would agree. Uh, Denz, Denzel Washington will always have a special place in my heart because well, he's Denzel Washington. So that I mean that was extraordinary. Uh, Kira, the Kira Knightley cover that I know you can't use the word viral, but that did go viral and they reported on it in. And I've said this before, but they reported it on on uh, E is it E News in America. Mm. My gosh, it, it, Sophie and I watched the video and we, we got very excited. Um, so I would I would say that this cover star is. Absolutely right up there. Our enthusiasm is coming through. When you see who it is, you will see that our enthusiasm is justified.
1: But also a big shout out to last year's winner, Jamie Oliver, who was an absolute pleasure um, to interview and shoot. Um, Obviously, he's not number one again this year because we thought that would be a little bit too repetitive. Sure. But um, he continues to be such an inspiration and kind of disruptor and change maker um, in this world. So yeah, just wanted to... Big shout out and thank you for last year, Jamie.
2: With Jamie, when you look at what he's achieved and what he continues to achieve and the fact that he could slow down and he isn't slowing down, um, he, he's an awesome dude, isn't he? Absolutely. Um, anyway, thank you so much. A huge and heartfelt thanks to Sophie. We, we, we've known each other for be coming up to three years now oh. and it's, uh, it's honestly been an absolute blast. So thanks for everything, mate. Thank you, James. Thank you. Have a great week, everyone.
0: Bye, guys.